All right, if you guys would just grab your Bibles for me and turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in a long passage this morning. Acts chapter 2, we're going to be in verses 14 to 41 this morning. Um, the last couple of weeks, we've been kind of bouncing through the, the beginning of the book of Acts and studying the infancy of the church, um, the, the Holy Spirit, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Last week, we talked about Pentecost and this day when the Holy Spirit descended upon these people in this upper room, and they began to speak in other tongues. And then there were others surrounding this room that heard the tongues that they were speaking in, these other languages, and they began to interpret, understand what it was they were saying, that they were preaching Christ, that they were literally hearing the gospel. Um, and then this morning, we go into this next section of this passage where Peter stands up to give the first sermon, really, that we see uh, given in Scripture. In all boldness and in all love, he stands up before these people and he begins to preach the gospel of Jesus. And so I, I want to read this passage here um, in a second. But again, it's, it's a long passage this morning, but what we're going to hear this morning in this first sermon ever that Peter preaches um, with the Holy Spirit is we're going we're gonna to hear the gospel presented in a very clear way for the first time in Scripture. And if you remember the passage from last week, we read about how the Holy Spirit had filled and empowered these believers that were in this room, literally by the Spirit's power, right? They began doing these miracles, speaking in these other tongues, preaching the gospel with boldness in these other languages. Like just five minutes earlier or whatever, this is happening. They literally did not know what it was they were saying. And so... We, we, we look at this and, and, and we, we realize, like last week, that there's this miracle that's taking place, that this isn't natural, it's something that's supernatural, that the Holy Spirit is guiding them and is leading them um, in this time. And we realize that God's doing this, and it's certainly something that they couldn't have done on their own, right, because they didn't understand it. It was the power of God at work. But what's more is that as Peter gets to this first sermon ever, this is like his first speaking gig. Like Peter, this guy that we know is, this guy that's kind of failed, this guy that's even, he's doubted, at times he's turned his back on the Lord, he's kind of a funny dude. He's going to be the one to stand up in all boldness and be, able, be proclaiming the gospel for the first time. And then at the end of this section, we see that 3,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Like, not bad for his first sermon ever, right? Um, I was thinking back this week on my first sermon ever. And I was 18 years old. I had just started as an associate youth pastor with this youth ministry. And literally my first day kind of on the job in this internship, uh, this youth pastor looked at me and he said, so I think I'm just going to let you preach all summer long. And I was like, okay, you know, I got this. 18 years old. Like I, I, I had no Bible training at the time, like nothing. It was just open up the Bible and start to teach kids God's word, God's word as well as I could. And I sort of like catapulted into, into preaching and trying to figure out how to put these messages together. Um, I'm sure what I said that day was absolutely amazing, right? My first sermon, I'm sure it was brilliant. But I was just beginning to walk with Jesus myself at this point in my life. Like I'd just come to faith in Christ like about six months-ish prior to this and then was kind of launched into this ministry opportunity. And, um, and, and now leading these junior hires and these high schoolers. Um, but what I realized when I look back on that moment is that I didn't even understand the full implications of the gospel myself, yet I was somebody who was being asked to teach others. I was green and I was raw, and I, I know that I, at that point in my life, like, again, I didn't even understand the full extent of the gospel. But I was this fiery young kid, I was scared out of my mind, and I was, like, ready to let the students have it, you know what I mean? Like, here we go. But I'll tell you what, like as I look back on that moment, my words were probably like a dumpster fire of epic, of epic proportions, right? I'm sure it was just horrible. But from the first word until the last, I, I know that what I said probably even bordered on legalism. Like I didn't really even understand that, that my righteousness was as filthy rags. 
Um, I, and I didn't understand that it was about Jesus' perfect righteous, righteousness that had been gifted to me. And so what I spoke that day, as I look back on it this week, realized it was totally weak. But as, as I look at like my first sermon and Peter's first sermon, what I notice about Peter's sermon is this, is that Peter rightfully divides the word of God in his sermon that we're going to read here in a second. Peter is full of the Holy Spirit. And so he's able to clearly speak this gospel message to a room full, a city full of people who didn't yet know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so as I studied this week, my prayer is that the, the words that I speak, the words that I preach, could clearly reflect Jesus and his story. And my prayer is that we as a church and the words that you and I speak on a daily basis in our homes, in our jobs, in our schools, in our conversations, that when the topic of spirituality, spirituality and God comes up, that first and foremost, we might, like Peter, speak about Jesus, that we might talk about the, the good news of the gospel, like what is it that people hear from you when you get into conversations with them? What is it that comes from your mouth? Particularly when you engage in spiritual conversations with people, what comes forth from your mouth? What is it that we want, we should talk about? And I want us to consider now, in light of God's word, what it is that it, we should be communicating to others, what this proclamation looks like for you and, you and I in light of what Peter says here. And so if you look with me at Acts chapter 2, we'll start at verse, verse 14, and I realize that this is a long section. But try to take it in. It says this, But Peter, standing with the eleven, he lifted up his voice and he addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk. They're not drunk as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, like nine in the morning. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and my female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth be below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun, the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your, your footstool. Let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, 
Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Pretty amazing first sermon, yeah? Let me pray for us this morning. Jesus, I thank you for the time that we get together this morning. I thank you for your word. Jesus, even as I sat there reading and rereading it this morning, I realized there's power behind it, God. I also realized, Jesus, that we only receive as much power as we're willing to sit and listen and allow you to bestow upon us. And so, Jesus, this morning, we open up our hearts to you. We pray in your name, by your spirit, that you'd have your way with us this morning, Jesus. And we give you this time. I pray that your word, God, much like when Peter preached this and it said it cut to the heart, that this morning your word would cut to our hearts. It would get to the very core of our being. I pray, Jesus, that you would be with us this morning and move in us, Lord, and you'd be drawing people to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So there's three things simply this morning that I, that I want to pull from Peter's sermon that I think our church should preach and that we should talk about from this amazing sermon that Peter gives. The first one is this, is that we should let our words be filled with God's word in the power of his Holy Spirit. So you see this particularly in verses 14 through 21 in this passage, although we see it really clearly throughout this passage. But we see this idea that our words should be filled with God's word. Like Peter, at the very beginning of his sermon, he says to this crowd, give ear to my words, right? Listen to me. And then the very next words out of his mouth are not his words. They're actually God's word. And that's incredibly helpful for us. If at any point in time you feel led to use the phrase, like, God told me to tell you. Like, the next words that come out of your mouth better be based on the Word of God, right? Because we are not an authority. God is actually the authority. He is. And so when he says, give ear to my words, he's saying his word is literally God's word. And so when the time has come for him to, to witness, to proclaim, what Peter does is he preaches this sermon from the Old Testament scriptures, interestingly enough. Why the Old Testament? Why would Peter go back into the Old Testament and preach those scriptures? Because that's all that they had, right? The New Testament is literally being recorded and written and taking place in their midst. And so he can only go back into the Old Testament. So as we think about ourselves today, if you want to talk about God, use the words that he uses to explain and to describe himself. If you want to talk about grace and truth, if you want to talk about heaven and hell, if you want to talk about life and you want to talk about death, if you want to talk about mercy and justice, then we should be a people that talk about these things using the words that God has actually given to us. Because we live in this era of church history where we love to hear ourselves talk, don't we? We love to hear what we have to say about something. We, we live in this era of church history where we love to avoid what God has said in his word, and we prefer to actually hear ourselves. Like, what is it that I have to say? What is it that somebody else has to say? Instead of, what is it that God's word has to say? And it really shouldn't be so with us that we continue to back on other people's words or our own word when we can go to the word of God itself. The, the sermon that's in front of us is this really good reminder that our words should be God's words. Like Peter preaches this expository sermon of sorts where he takes a text and, and he sort of walks through it. In fact, he takes three passages from the Old Testament, Joel 2, 28 through 32. He takes Psalm 16, 8 through 11. He takes Psalm 110, verse 1. And in all of these, he's showing us that Jesus is the Christ. That's his point that Jesus actually was the Messiah, that, that Jesus is God, and, and that he was the fulfillment of these texts that they would have known, and that the Holy Spirit that Jesus has sent is the fulfillment of these passages that were written 600 years prior to Peter preaching them this day. Joel 2, 28 to 29 says, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, 
that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So the promise of the spirit was for everybody who would receive it. It was for all of mankind, all those that would receive it. And now it's actually taking place 600 years after this prophetic word is given. And so Peter's telling them specifically in this moment that it's happening. Like what we heard of, what we read about, like it's actually happening. Like the promise of Joel is actually here. It's actually now that that all of the believers are filled with the Holy Spirit, that, that prophecy is literally being fulfilled and there will be new moments of prophecy that take place in the New Testament. Like just a few chapters after this, you see this believer named Agabus who, who will speak up and, and he'll prophesy and in their lifetime, his prophetic word will actually come to be true as well. And people are like boldly speaking the truth of God's word. Like there's something that's empowering them that has never empowered them before. And then Peter, a few chapters later in Acts 10, he sees this vision, right? And in this vision, God makes it clear to him that the gospel is for both Jews and the gospel is for Gentiles. It's for both God's people and it's for the Gentiles who will be brought in. And so people are experiencing what it was that was promised to them in the Old Testament. And so Joel tells us, and Peter sort of confirms it, that it's all going to happen before Jesus returns one day. And then it ends with this powerful word that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Like very simply, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Like they had to have some understanding of that in the Old Testament, but, but now we're seeing the fullness of this promise, like literally right before them. Like, let God's words be your and I's words. Let us explain to people the good news of God's word. Let our words be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. You, you see, in this passage, the, 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 you see like some of the crowd is like super quick to begin to mock and reject what the Holy Spirit is doing. Like they come at Peter, right? Like they, at first they accuse them all of being drunk. They accuse these, these believers who are speaking in all these different languages of being drunk because it's nine in the morning of the Holy Spirit. As the church, I was thinking about this this week, that, that we cannot be a people that go silent when the world mocks God. We can't be a people that go quiet. Like, we can't go silent when the world mocks you as a follower of Jesus. On the same token, we also can't be surprised, not just... That, that, that you're going to experience some level of persecution at some point in your life. But don't be surprised when the God of this universe shows up and manifests his power and actually enables you to do things that you could never do on your own. Like, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't be surprised by that. And then realize, like, you're not on your own, right? You have the Spirit of God within you. So don't be surprised when... God brings spiritually dead hearts back to life. That's what God does. That's what his spirit does. He's incredibly powerful. He has the ability to move someone from an enemy to God to a friend of God in an instant. What does that? Is it powerful words? Is it man's convincing? Or is it the spirit of God that does that? But we can't be silenced, right? We can't be surprised by the grace of God. And so if this is the case, like how do we access this Holy Spirit that we talk about? Like in our own lives, that, that we would preach, that we would speak clearly God's word of good news. Like I'm going to be radically honest with you. Yesterday, I took a little trip with my son. We get to the street corner, like um, often uh, we're heading to Spokane, and uh, we're sitting at this light, and, and um, th there's people there holding up these signs with scripture on them. And they're just like pushing it in front of these cars. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I, I literally looked at my son and I said, Jonah, do you think that's a really good representation of Jesus? He goes, I don't know. I'm like, let's talk about it. What do you think they're accomplishing by doing what they're doing? There's zero relationship. There's zero 
discussion involved here. We're literally taking the truth that people don't proclaim as the truth or understand as the truth and placing it in front of them and expecting them to obey by it. That's weird. Is that not weird? Why do we obey it? Because we understand it as truth. It's literally cut to our hearts. So here Peter stands up, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, he begins to communicate this message to them that does more than just force them to read some words off of a page. Henry was reminding me before I got up this morning, up here this morning, not before I, was, I got up, like Henry wasn't talking to me in my sleep. Um, but he was reminding me that like, is it not crazy that this fisherman is like memorizing these passages and he, he's giving this exegetical sermon, like of all people for God to use to begin to quote these passages back, he uses a fisherman and a jacked up one at that, right? But I want to remind you what we saw last week, that, that every believer is baptized with the Holy Spirit at the point of their salvation. Like you're baptized by the Holy Spirit. Like it actually states that, that again in this morning's passage. And believers are given the Holy Spirit at the point of their conversion. And believers are called to be a filled people. Like the Holy Spirit fills us. There, there's this command and like sort of a response on our part to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so what does that mean? As a believer, what does it mean for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit? As a believer, I, I sort of think about it this way, that I've been forgiven of all of my sin. Like 100% of my sins have been forgiven purely by, like, by the goodness and by the grace of Jesus, amen? And yet in my daily conversations, in my daily walk with God, I, I confess my sin to God and I say things to him like, forgive me. Do, do I say that because I know that I, I haven't been forgiven yet? No, I understand that I've been forgiven. But, but in my ongoing relationship with Jesus, I recognize that I wander from him constantly. Like every single day I trip up. I have these moments. And I realize that he doesn't change, but I often do. And, and so a part of my daily experience with Jesus is realizing that, yes, I've been fully forgiven and yet I call upon the name of Jesus and admit that I messed up again and I continue to ask for his forgiveness and it's the same way in our relationship with the Holy Spirit. You've been given from the moment of your salvation the Holy Spirit. If you need to be reminded this morning, the spirit of the living God has filled you up. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, that kind of power exists within the follower of Jesus. And when we use verbiage like asking Jesus into our heart, I get a little tripped out because it's like, how do I get Jesus in here, right? Like, how do I get this person in here? But what we're actually saying, what we're actually saying is that the Holy Spirit has come into our heart, that the Holy Spirit actually lives within us. And that at the same time, the Bible commands us to ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because I didn't have it before? No. Because in my daily prayers and conversations with God, I'm saying, Lord, I've wandered from you in your power. I've denied it at times. And instead of being filled to overflowing by your Holy Spirit, like I actually tend to wander off to these other sources that can't possibly fill me. And I start to reach for other things to try to be that, to try to find that, only to realize at the end of some of my days that I have not walked in the filling of the Holy Spirit. I've actually begun to look to other things to try to be that for me. So I pray, Jesus, fill me. Holy Spirit, come, that, that I might boldly, that I might lovingly proclaim the good news of Jesus. And so one, be filled with God's word and the Holy Spirit's power. And two, you see this in the middle of the passage uh, between verses 22 and 36. Um, the second is this, let our words be filled with Jesus and the good news of the gospel. So listen to just the first couple verses here at the beginning of this middle section. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, 
a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. Like, you saw it. You witnessed it. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So when we talk to others, we talk about who Jesus is. We talk about what Jesus has done. Like this sermon is an amazing sermon because it's all Christ-centered, isn't it? This sermon is literally all about Jesus. And so Peter is gonna begin by telling us that Jesus proves himself by signs and wonders. When Jesus cast out demons, when Jesus walked on water, when Jesus turned water into wine, when Jesus calmed the storm, when he raised his dead friend Lazarus back to life, he proved himself through these signs and wonders. But more than that, the Son of God, Peter says, was crucified, and he died for your sins. So if you're going to tell anybody anything about your faith, let it be first your take on the 2024 presidential elections, right? <laughs> like, if you're going to tell anybody about your faith, if you're going to lead with anything, let it be your take on masks, right? If you're going to lead with anything in a spiritual conversation, lead first with your stance on vaccines. Like, we often lead with these things, but we do not see Peter doing the same thing. Like, if you're going to talk about anything, I think Peter would say, if you have the opportunity to get into a spiritual conversation, to talk about the living God, then let it be about this, Jesus Christ. Let it be about him. Like, that God in the flesh came to earth to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, <clears throat> to pay that penalty for yours and my sins that we could never pay on our own. And then three days later, he rose from the dead. He conquered sin and death on your behalf, on our behalf. And it's this free gift, and you can receive that gift right now. That took me 12 seconds to say. How amazing is that? 12 seconds to encapsulate a message that can change somebody's eternity. If you're in an elevator with somebody, you can get that sentence out, right? <laughs> like, it's that easy. And, and so we often say we want people to know more about what we're for than what we're against. And you'll hear us talk about that a lot because, man, as Christians, we spend a ton of time telling the world what we're against. We are not for that. 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 And the world sometimes sits around and goes, I don't have a clue what you guys are for. And Peter says, like, we're about Christ and him crucified. We're literally about the fact that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has offered us a gift that we could not earn on our own to save us, to forgive us, to grant us salvation. And that Jesus offers salvation to anybody that will ask. He offers this exchange, right? His perfect life for my jacked up sinful life. Jesus offers us that. He offers us heaven for hell. Like he, he offers eternal life because three days after he died, he wasn't finished, right? He rose from the dead. And his scriptures say that he loosened the pangs of death, that he broke the chains of sin and death. And not just for him, but for all of those who will follow after him. He's made a way to eternal life. And if you've never personally come to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, hear these words that are not my words, but God's words to you. Let today be the day that you respond and say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. And why? Let me challenge you with this idea. Because it's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done. It's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done. Notice that Peter in his sermon does not say, you guys should be more like Jesus. You guys should do good stuff like Jesus. That's not Peter's sermon. 
That there will come a day when a person has experienced the grace of Jesus, has been forgiven of their sins, has been given new life, has been given the power of the Holy Spirit to say no to sin and yes to righteousness. But Peter is talking to people who have not been saved. He's talking to people that are literally spiritually dead in their trespasses and their sins. And he doesn't say, do good things and act like Jesus. He tells them about what Jesus has already done. This is our message as well. That every religion, every worldview begins with, what can you do to earn your way to whatever it is that they may call heaven? What can you do to make that happen? Be a good person before you turn back into dust, right? Earn your way to nirvana. Earn your way to good karma. Like, do, do, do. Pay your debt to society through, like, social action and through good works. Like, just go do a bunch of really good things because that's going to get you there. And in every way, they've missed the boat. Because there's only one that says you can do nothing to earn your salvation. And so there begins like the truth of the freedom of the gospel, right? That it's a free gift. That your salvation has been accomplished by God who did for you what you could never do for yourself. Like every religion says, how can I get to God? And only one says God actually came down for you. Like everything else is about how you can attain that. Jesus is like, I actually came there to you and granted you the gift in person to accept it. And all you have to do is nothing. That's just crazy, right? All you have to do is nothing. All you have to do is accept the free gift that's been offered to you by God, by this God of perfect mercy, this God of perfect justice. So Jesus plus nothing equals everything, right? Add nothing to him. That's the promise. And so people of God preach the gospel, the gospel first. They, they preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. But let me add this because I think Peter adds it. Let our words be filled with boldness and love to actually talk about sin and death. And when we talk about Jesus and the gospel and the good news, we have to be a people who are clear about the bad news, what the bad news is first. Why do they need God? And we see this especially in verses 23 to 24 in this text. Peter wasn't afraid to go there. He wasn't afraid to talk about this biblical reality of like both divine sovereignty and our human responsibility, right? That's exactly where he goes here and he tells, he tells us that, that God is sovereign over everything, that God is just over everything. Like Peter's telling us that God used the greatest injustice of all time not one that he was surprised by at all, that he used the greatest injustice of all time, that he planned it, that he foreknew the murder of his one and only son to bring the greatest mercy of all time, to bring you salvation. And so what does that tell you and I? What does that tell these people that are standing there listening to the message that Peter is preaching? That, that though you rejected Jesus, that though you're the one that essentially put him on the cross, he died for you on your behalf. I mean, listen to Peter's words. Like, did, did you notice exactly what he says to these people? He says, you killed Jesus. You did it. You, you literally murdered the Savior. I mean, if, you, if you're trying to make friends and influence people, is this like the most amazing route to go? You killed him. In the middle of the city where 50 days earlier they killed Jesus and he's talking to the exact same people who 50 days earlier were yelling, crucify him, crucify him. Like Peter's not mincing his words, right? When you and I talk about sin, we actually have to be very clear that sin is a serious issue. And if you don't believe that, you need to look at the world. Sin is an issue. And it's not just out there, it's in here. And sin isn't just a sickness, like sin is death. Like it leads us to death. And so Peter stands up and he talks with boldness. But notice that, that Peter also wasn't afraid to speak the good news. He wasn't afraid to speak the truth in love, that he's speaking to them in love. 
And my prayer is that Jesus' church today could remember that, that we could learn how to do this, to speak the truth in love. Like, we need to love people enough to say to them what they need to hear, right? To actually understand what the problem is. But every time we talk about the reality of sin, it actually has to be, I want you to hear this, it actually has to be based in a humility that says, listen, I'm actually the chief of sinners. We don't call out other people's sins. We turn to ourselves and say, I'm the chief of them, like Paul says. I'm the chief of sinners. I was the farthest off of the far. I'm the most undeserving of this gift that Jesus granted me, but he still granted it to me. Like if there's two people in the room and I'm telling you about sin, I promise you that I'm the worst. And we tell people that we're not telling them something that we don't need every single day in our own lives, right? That's the grace of Jesus. And so when you come to people and you talk about the bad news of sin, it has to be in this position of the greatness of Jesus. What he was able to overcome and conquer, the reality that you're talking to a sinner himself, and it sort of eliminates the self-righteous attitude that the church is so often accused of. You're always wanting to call out my sin but not recognize your own. Why don't you get the log out of your own eye before you tell me that I have one in mine? We need to be the first to step up and say, like, I'm, I'm seriously the most jacked up of the jacked up. By the grace of God, I stand before you because of the gift that he presented me. And I think that Christianity sometimes is more the idea of I'm worse than you than I'm better than you. And Peter loves them enough to share this good news, even if it means that they're going to kill him. And so we, we know from church history that that happens, right? That's exactly what happens, that Peter's crucified upside down on a cross just a few years later. Why? Because he wouldn't stop talking about the good news of the gospel. Like, why in the world would Peter continue to do that? Why in the world would you and I continue to do that? Because we, like Peter, have seen the grace of Jesus in action. Like, that the, the Jesus willingly went to a cross to die for the people who put him on that cross. And so we've seen the power of the Holy Spirit in action that's transforming dead hearts and bringing life to them. And so Peter can't help but talk about Jesus. He can't help but talk about the good news of the gospel. He can't help but preach the truth in love. And the third and final thing is this. You see in verses 37 to 41 that we actually need to let our words be filled with repentance and forgiveness. I want to read these last couple of verses that, that show us these people who are hearing the truth and how they're responding to that. It says this in verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day, about 3,000 souls. Church, let our words be filled with repentance. The Bible says here that when they heard the word of God spoken through the mouth of Peter, they were literally cut to the heart. This is like literally reaching into their hearts, like deep down in their hearts. Like they admitted that they were sinners. They understood this at this point. Like at this point, they, it all starts to make sense. They're like, wow, we... We are sinners. Like, we do need Jesus. We did literally crucify the one that came to offer us this gift of eternal life. They understood that, that, that they are without help and that they were without hope. And my question for you this morning is, have you come to that place in your life where you recognize that on your own, you're just an empty person? That you're spiritually empty and these people also understand that, that their own wickedness actually deserved God's wrath. 
But they, they, they see the problem really clear. And so the greatest question that any person on the planet can ever ask is the question that they ask. What do I do about it? What am I supposed to do? Like, I see the problem. I, I see the bad news. Like, what do I do about it? And in Acts chapter 16, there's this Philippian jailer who, after seeing the power of the Holy Spirit and after having heard the good news of the gospel preached by Paul and by Silas, he'll say the exact same thing. He says this. He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And this really is the question for you and I. And Peter gives them this answer here in the sermon, but do you know what keeps most people from becoming Christians? At the end of the day, for most people, it comes down to this, that I can't admit that I can't save myself. Like, we despise the idea of needing help. And the greatest stumbling block to our faith is confessing that you can't do it yourself that you need him, like repentance, this word repentance, it literally means turning, it means turning from sin. Repentance means turning from myself, turning from my self-lordship, turning from my self-reliance. Like repentance means turning from that and saying, I'm turning to Jesus, I'm asking for his forgiveness, I'm asking for his lordship, his kingship in my life, and repentance isn't just this one-time thing. Repentance is this relationship with God thing. It happened with Peter. 50 days earlier, Peter commits the, the greatest denial in human history, right? When, when a few people came up to Peter and they said, aren't you that dude that was with Jesus, like that guy that we've been hearing so much about? Like, didn't you know him? Weren't you friends with him? Weren't you with him? And the Bible actually says that Peter looked over and that Peter saw Jesus, who in that moment is being beaten and he's being tortured. In that moment, he's being spit on and he's being lied to. In that moment, he's being prepared for the cross and his crucifixion. And Peter looks at Jesus and he says, I've actually never heard of him. I don't know him. So why in the world does Peter want to talk about forgiveness in Acts chapter 2? Because the dude has experienced it. Like, why wouldn't you want to talk about it if you've experienced it? Jesus forgave Peter of the greatest denial maybe in human history. And so Peter's coming to these people and he's saying, listen, if Jesus can forgive me for all the terrible things that I've done, then he's going to actually joyfully forgive you as well. So what must I do to be saved? Peter says, repent. Turn to Jesus. Ask for his forgiveness. Let our words and our lives be filled with this. Like in Jesus, receive the forgiveness of sins. Be filled with this Holy Spirit. Be baptized as a symbol like of God's cleansing, like his washing over us, him casting our sins as far as the east is from the west, as a symbol of him pouring his spirit upon you, as the symbol of being raised from death to life. Like the Bible says that the covenant promise is for you and it's for your children and it's for everyone, even you who are far off is what the word says. And that day, 3,000 people went from death to life. And we'll see all 3,000 of those people one day in heaven, won't we? What an amazing thing. And so may our words be this, filled with God's word and the power of his Holy Spirit, church. May our words be filled with Jesus and the good news of his gospel. And lastly, may our words be filled with an invitation to repentance and forgiveness. I know this is like probably a heavier message. But if there's one place that the church is just missing it right now, it's taking this to heart and actually acting on it. And not being a people that just preach it, but being a people that actually bask in the fact that they were granted it first. We're the farthest off from the far. And now we get to present this gift to others. What an amazing thing, you guys. And so every week I'll say something like, when you leave these four walls, like let's pray for opportunities to go love, to be a light, a beacon of hope in the community that God's placed us in. And then it's easy for us to leave and just be like, yep, I'm going to do that. 
and then just go about our week and then come back the next Sunday and be like, well, there was no opportunities. And you're like, that's kind of a crock. You know, like, how many people did you come into contact with this last week? I, I, I think I told this story a couple weeks ago, but I was out on a run the other day, and I, I literally have a neighbor of mine who has, like, severe cancer, and, and uh, I run by his house all the time. And I was, like, two blocks away, and I could see his house in my sight, and I'm thinking to myself, all right, Jesus, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about the fact that you can heal, that even if you don't, we should still stop and we should pray for people and believe that you can. And I'm like seeing his house in my sights and I'm like, if he's outside, I'm gonna go for it. You know, I'm gonna lay hands on this dude and I'm gonna pray for him. And I'm just running, running, running. And I get to his house and I just keep running, running, running. And I'm laying in bed that night. And I'm like, what is the deal? Do we not believe that the spirit of the living God is within us? What are we afraid of? What they're going to think about us? That we're going to be crazy? Are we, are we afraid to just step out and let the spirit lead as the spirit did in the book of Acts? What are we afraid of? And when did we start letting fear lead our lives versus the spirit of the living God? So I have no clue where you're at this morning, but as, as we've been working our way through Acts, the one thing that I've been reminded of every single week is we need to give room for the Holy Spirit to have his way with us. There are people in this room that are sick. Man, some of you God is going to heal. Some of you, maybe not, but I'm not going to stop praying for you. There are marriages in this room that are literally on the rocks. Like you're talking divorce on the way here this morning and you're believing that the Spirit of God is within you but that the Spirit of God is not strong enough to bring unity back to your marriage again. There are people in this room with addiction issues that are convinced that they'll never get out of it. Well, the hope for you this morning is the fact that you never will. But the Spirit of the living God will grant you the strength that you need to turn from it. We need his spirit, you guys. This world is devouring the church. And we're sitting back and going like, well, if the spirit talks, like the guys outside of his house, I'll stop. And God's like, rush the door, man. Knock on it. The dude's inside. You know what I mean? Like, why are you waiting for the sign? You know I want you to go and love the people that I've placed you around to pray for the sick to share the gospel in every opportunity we get on a daily basis. You guys come into contact with dozens of people. If anything, you come into contact with your children. 17 of them lined up here this morning, and I'm thinking like, all of them need the gospel of Jesus. Is that being communicated to them in the home? Are we raising them up to be proclaimers of the truth of Jesus? Where are we? Where are you? So my prayer, we're going to sing a couple songs. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. But my prayer for you has literally been that we stop being a church. And I don't say this as anthem. I'm talking like big C here. That talks about the Spirit of God and the power we believe that lies in it, but never starts moving or functioning in it. And I said this a couple weeks ago. I feel like this closet cessationist sometimes. Because if somebody said, do you believe that you could pray for the sick and that God would heal them, I'd be like, oh, yes. Do you believe that the Spirit is moving as the Spirit did even in the book of Acts? Oh, yes. When was the last time I actually acted on any of that to pray for, to proclaim the truth of Jesus to others and allow the Spirit to do the work? Because out of fear, we're just convinced that we can't do it on our own, so we just shouldn't do it at all. And it's not your job. You walk in obedience. You proclaim. You trust the Spirit to do the work that you can't do. And then we sit back and watch Jesus reap the harvest, right? It's his harvest. So would you stand with me? I want you to bow your heads. If you're in this room this morning and there's anybody here who's literally never called upon the name of Jesus to be their Lord and Savior, I just don't want to leave this moment without saying this morning you can have that moment with the Lord. If you're 
here this morning and you've never started that relationship and you want to, would you be bold enough to just like look up and make eye contact with me? Just let me know that you want that this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Jeez, that's awesome. Thank you. you're here this morning and maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you much like me feel like I say I believe these things and I say that there's power in these things but I rarely act on that power that lies within me and I want prayer this morning that I get filled with his Holy Spirit that I don't back down that I continue to proclaim walk in obedience to his spirit. If that's you this morning, would you raise your hand? Like, Just be bold. Awesome. Keep your hand up. Jesus, I lift up every person in this room whose hand is up, who's acknowledging this morning that we need you, God, that we need your spirit to lead us, that we want you to fill us, God. We want to be led by. We want to acknowledge that you are the only way for these things to happen. God, it is not by our might or by our power. It's by your might and your power. And so, Jesus, I pray right now as we lift up these people that the spirit of the living God would literally come upon them, that you would fill them up, that as we leave these doors this morning, God, that there would be something different. different. There would be an acknowledgement that we're stepping out of the way to allow your spirit to begin to lead in our lives. And I lift up those in this room that looked up at me that acknowledged that today's the day that they want to surrender their lives to you. And you say, Jesus, that it's so simple, right? That if we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts, that we will be saved. And so I pray this morning as they confess that they need you, that they're sinners, that they want you to do for them what they can't do for themselves that you'd meet them in this place, that you'd lavish them in your grace, in your mercy, your love, your forgiveness, your compassion, your kindness, God. And I pray that they be empowered right now by your Holy Spirit, that as they leave here today, they would leave here a transformed individual, a heart that was once spiritually dead that has now found life. Jesus, be with your church as we sing right now, as we proclaim the goodness and the faithfulness of God in song. I pray that our hearts could not be contained, God, as we realize who it is that we're singing to. It's not just Christian karaoke. We're actually proclaiming the goodness and faithfulness and the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning, may our hearts cry out to you because we're so thankful, God, for all that you have done, are doing, and will do through us, Jesus. And so we pray all of this in your name. Amen. If you're here this morning and you need prayer, I'm going to invite you to come forward during worship. One of our elders, somebody um, up front here, I'm sure, will help, and we will lay hands on you and pray for you. If you want to worship on a rug, we have this amazing rug over here. Some people like to kneel. We have this rug. You're welcome to come forward and kneel. You're welcome to walk around. But let's just take a few minutes and let's worship Jesus. Amen.